The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about a lot of different privacy issues, and Lloyd, you know I am so thrilled that, again, every year we have to have my good friend, wonderful colleague, a wonderful mentor for me, Beth Givens, of the, who is the director of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, is joining us today, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. If you haven't heard my interviews with her, you might have seen her on TV, you might have heard her on a radio, you, you've definitely seen her name in newspaper articles where she's been quoted myriad times. And so let me tell you about my dear friend and wonderful, wonderful privacy expert. Beth Givens is the founder and director of of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, which was established back in 1992. And she has developed numerous fact sheets, a whole series as an author and or an editor. And she authored the Encyclopedia Entries on Identity Theft for the Encyclopedia of Privacy in 2007, the World Book Encyclopedia in 2004, and the Encyclopedia of Crime and Punishment in 2002. And she's the author of the Privacy Rights Handbook, How to Take Control of Your Personal Information. And she co-authored with me the uh, Privacy Piracy, a guide to protecting yourself from identity theft. And we had a lot of fun doing that. She contributed a chapter on consumer and privacy rights to the 2006 book, RFID, Applications, Security, and Privacy. And she knows a whole lot about everything to do with privacy. I call her the Privacy Queen. And let me just tell you, she has been interviewed on so many programs. Oh, my goodness. And she's also been in U.S. newspapers, online media, radio talk show programs, TV talk show programs, NPR. Oh, my goodness. The Willis Report, Marketplace, The News Hours with Jim Lehrer, CBS Evening News, NBC Nightly News, CNN, Good Morning America, 40 Hours, 60 Minutes. Oh, my goodness. I could just go on and on. But I, I want to instead spend the time with her. So just thank you so much, Beth. You are just wonderful. As you know, I think you walk on water. So let's get started. Well, thank you so much, Mari. Nice to be back. Yes. So you've, you have talked about a lot of different areas of privacy. But for those people who haven't heard you before, tell a little bit more about the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. Well, yes, uh, as you mentioned, we started in 1992, so next year is going to be our 20th year, and, and we hope to celebrate in style. Um, uh, we, are, we have a, a two-part mission, both consumer education and consumer advocacy, and our, our education um, 
is played out in a couple ways. First, we're kind of a dear Abby of privacy. We invite people to contact us with their questions and their complaints. They can phone us. They can email us, um, find us on our website, and, and send us a complaint uh, or question through the website. Um, and we do our best to troubleshoot those questions and complaints. Uh, but we also have an advocacy role, primarily here in the California legislature. We believe that California is basically a trend-setting state in terms of public policy and law. And In fact, I, th- I think probably just about anyone would agree with that. Uh, con- consumer protection laws, privacy rights laws. So we work um, in the California legislature to promote bills that help people protect their privacy, but we also work, and this sometimes is even more important, to, to kill bills that are terrible. And usually that's, our, that's invisible to, to most people. Um, it's kind of behind the scenes, although we do write letters of opposition, but uh, sometimes it's more important to get rid of the bad bills uh, because actually it's quite difficult to get really good privacy protection bills all the way to the governor's desk. Um, there's a lot of industry opposition uh, with uh, business-oriented Democrats um, in, in both houses. It, it seems to be getting harder and harder, and then, of course, it has to pass muster with the governor. Um, so we, we, that's what we do, Mari, kind of in, in a nutshell. And, um, you know, you, you asked about some of the issues that we cover. Um, we hear from consumers a lot, so we're, you know, we, 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 we hear what's on their minds. Um, and I think the top issues are probably the same as the ones I mentioned last year, but let me, let me mention them again. Okay. We get, we get a lot of complaints about uh, the online data broker industry. It's probably one of our top issues. And we have a, a great deal of information about this unregulated industry on our website. But these are the companies, and we have over 100 of them listed, that collect information about basically every single American adult, mostly from public records data, but more and more they're also going into uh, the social media sites and, and capturing all the publicly available data that they can, aggregating it in one place, and uh, in some cases uh, uh, making it available for free, at least the basic demographics, but also making it available for sale to basically anybody, no questions asked. And you can imagine if you're a victim of domestic violence or you're a law enforcement officer that needs to keep your home address under wraps, you can imagine how distressing it is to realize that there are at least 100 companies out there that uh, are making information about you available publicly, and you have very little control over it. Oh, I know. And you you and I just recently did a program at the State Bar Annual Meeting about background checks. And everybody and their brother seem to be doing background checks. And sometimes there's very, very good reason to do that, obviously, to protect customers and clients, etc. However, these data brokers that, that you're talking about, those 100 that are on your website and probably thousands and thousands more, um, they have a lot of errors in those background checks. And it could hurt you. It could keep you from getting a job or you know, it could keep you from, you know, if they say that by er, by error that you are a sexual offender, you might not ever even be able to live in a certain community or go to a park or, oh my goodness. So these background checkers are, this is horrible stuff that we've been talking about. You know, it really is. And of course, the, the, the employment background check issue intersects 
very closely with the online data broker uh, issue. And we do, that, that's our, basically our, our second big issue that we hear from people about is problems with background checks. You know, I, I have an erroneous, uh, I'm just speaking, you know, as one of our, one of our, uh, Victims, one of the individuals yeah. who <laughs> yeah. contacts us, but they'll say, I, I have an erroneous criminal record and it's keeping me from getting a job. Or they might say, um, I keep applying and applying and applying and I know that I'm well qualified. There must be something out there that's keeping me from getting employed. And, and unfortunately, just based you know, on the uh, complaints that we've been receiving from individuals, we think that a lot of employers are simply not uh, complying with the law that requires that these job applicants be notified when they make a negative hiring decision based on the contents of a background check. We think that a lot of employers are simply sidestepping that notice requirement in federal law and just saying, you know, we had a great job pool. We didn't hire you because there were people who were more qualified. Rather than saying, you know, telling the the job applicant, hey, we found a, a felony in your background check, and here's a copy of it, um, and we're giving it to you uh, in compliance with the Fair Credit Reporting Act so that you can check to see if this is true or not and then dispute it if it's not um, and come back to us with um, a corrected report. Uh, we think that that whole process is not being done by a lot of employers. And, you know, Beth, we should talk about that wonderful YouTube uh, pro, the uh, the little three minute or it's, it's like five minutes uh, the YouTube video that you have on background checks is that's great and that people can go and look for the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse and their YouTube pro, uh, review on background checks that is terrific and it gives a lot of information I want to just mention also Beth <clears throat> that we haven't mentioned your website again and it's privacyrights.org privacyrights.org because there is I mean, we could spend probably a whole day and a half and not and still not talk about all these wonderful issues. So, did you want to talk anything more about that video? Well, yes, uh, we are producing a total of six videos, and we have finished two of them: one on debt collection harassment, and then the second one on employment background check errors. And what we do is dramatize what happens to real people. We we kind of make a composite of the types of complaints that we're getting. Uh, the debt collection harassment. Um, uh, there's, you know, given the bad economy, of course, debt collectors are actually out of control, to be honest with you. And and we receive a lot of complaints about harassment. And, of course, harassment is a violation of, of course, the federal law, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And we show, we show the story of uh, an elderly woman who fights back because she goes to our website, learns her rights, and tells the debt collectors they cannot come to her house and harass her. Now, the employment background check video... Um, is it's about six minutes long. It's a complex topic. We try to keep our videos under five minutes, but this one came out at six uh, just because it's a it's a complex story to tell. But it also is a uh, composite of many of the individuals who have come to us for help. And it's a, of a young man, very well qualified, just can't get a job, wonders why and learns through uh, an honest employer, thankfully, that there is an erroneous felony record um, 
on a, uh, a background check with someone who must have probably has the same name, is in another state, and that's what's keeping him from, from getting in the door, from, from even getting interviews. Uh, very realistic situation. We've gotten great reviews on, on this uh, particular video, and we invite people to go to YouTube.com and just enter our name into the search window, Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, and you'll pull up those two videos. Oh, they're great. I've seen both of them. And one of them we showed even at the State Bar Annual Meeting, and even the attorneys loved it. So That's right. Yeah, That's it's, right. it's absolutely great. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about all these security breaches. That's another huge issue. So um, how do you learn about all these breaches, Beth? Well, let me go back a little bit, a little bit of history. Um, you may remember back in 2005 what launched the, the deep interest in cons- and concern about data breaches, and that's the ChoicePoint breach. Right. ChoicePoint Choice Point has since been acquired by LexisNexis, but it was a very serious breach because ChoicePoint has r- very rich, in-depth profiles on literally every, every American, including Social Security numbers, date of birth, you know, property ownership, criminal files, uh, other public records associated with individuals. And what happened was um, a crime ring uh, established an illegitimate account with, with ChoicePoint, although ChoicePoint thought it was legitimate. And ChoicePoint was selling these profiles to this crime ring, and then they in turn were turning around using that data to commit new account fraud or identity theft. Um, and, of course, that hit the news. That was the first time most people even knew about Choice Point. And, it was and, all over and Beth, the news. And Beth, and then that, yeah, and Beth I, just, I just wanted to mention, because it was just such an outrageous thing, that Choice Point was delivering these background checks and all this information to a mailboxes, et cetera, not even to a real business. Remember that's, that? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, what it did was it did, actually it was a terrible situation yeah. that, Turned out to, in in a sense, to have a silver lining, right. and that is that Choice Point um, uh, changed its practices dramatically. They established a very strong privacy office, uh, which then went on, you know, into into LexisNexis's practices, and they've really become, uh, I would say, kind of the the model of how companies should be handling information, um, and an information broker that 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 does a pretty good job, not perfect, but pretty good job of, of only selling information to those with a permissible purpose. Uh, most of the information brokers that, I, that are on our list don't do that. Um, so it was, and they've since been fined by the Federal Trade Commission. So it had real repercussions for them. And it was, you know, it was a real reputation destroyer. But so that's how we got started. Uh, that, and that, that news story about Choice Point launched um, interest in data breaches in general, and the media started covering them. So we decided, hmm, this is interesting, let's keep track of these breaches on our website. And we and, created and a, very, a very simple page, yeah. and then it just grew like Topsy. Um, we've since converted it into quite a sophisticated database. You can now go in and you can do a, a search where you can, if you're just interested in education breaches, you can pull those out going all the way back to 2005. If you're interested in government agency breaches only in 2010, you can do that. If you're only interested in laptop thefts, you can, you can filter the, uh, the database in that way. So, you know, it's become quite popular, and um, a lot of media people use it when they're writing stories on data breaches. It, it really um, has, has 
become a very popular tool, not only to the media, but to security professionals. And, and, and I, I love the way they use it, that many security professionals, say, in a company, will use it uh, to scare the living daylights out of, you know, their, their colleagues and saying, look, you don't want our company on this list. Uh, take a look here, and they'll, they'll, they might hand out a few pages from the uh, our chronology of data breaches at a staff meeting and saying, you know, we have to tighten up our security practices. We don't want the reputation hit, and we don't want the cost of having to notify all the uh, individuals affected by a breach, because that's very expensive, but it's also a public relations black eye. Yes, it's a real reputation ruiner. And, and you know, we should talk about the fact that when you were talking about that the Choice Point fiasco, after that, it, you know, that was really even disclosed to the media because we had passed a law in California that required that when a uh, when there is a security breach in which sensitive data that had been computerized is acquired by an unauthorized person and it's not encrypted mm-hmm. that the company has to disclose and that's how we first even found out about choice point they had to disclose because of California law and so that's how it's being disclosed right now and and so how are you finding out about them as soon as they happen, though, Beth? There's a wonderful group of security professionals. They're, they're, they, they voluntarily go searching the media for stories of data breaches, and they put out a, uh, a listserv. We subscribe to the listserv. We also look in a couple of other sources, but uh, primarily it's through the what they call themselves the Open Security Foundation, and uh, they're a wonderful group of people. And, and by the way, I, I think you know they deserve your anybody's donations who's listening because they have done more than than anyone to expose the uh, terrible situation, really, of information being out of control and not being protected as it should by all those entities that collect and use sensitive personal information like Social Security numbers, financial account numbers, uh, and medical information. So it's their listserv primarily. And, you know, it's really very, very important because back in 2005 when... Uh, Choice Point did have that security breach. There were quite a few. There were literally hundreds of victims of identity theft from that. So there were, and, yes. and that's what really pushed it. Now, what what do you tell people when they get that letter, maybe in the mail, or they see mm-hmm. in the news, or they look at your chronology and they find out that their information may have been compromised by a data breach? Um, should they worry about identity theft? What, what should they be doing, Beth? Well, they should first, you know, not panic, but read the letter very carefully. Uh, unfortunately, many, if not most, of the letters that they receive from these breached companies, breached universities, breached hospitals are not very clear, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of adds fuel to the fire or fuel to their worry in that they can't really figure out what's going on. But at least they know if, if, if it's their social security number that's been breached or perhaps their credit card number. And those are two different situations in ter- or potential situations in terms of identity theft. And you, you take a different strategy for, for each. Now, if it's a social security number, you're at risk for uh, new account fraud, uh, sometimes called true, you know, true fraud or, or identity theft, with a social security number in hand plus plus your name, and perhaps other information like a date of birth. Um, 
a crook can impersonate you enough to open up a new uh, financial account or a new credit card account. Now, that's a dreadful situation, and I think we should probably ask yet one more question, and that is, why is it that the credit industry has been allowed to use the Social Security number as a, an authenticator, you know, as the key way to authenticate you. And my, my feeling is they shouldn't be allowed to, and I, I would really like the Federal Trade Commission to do more in this area, uh, and perhaps, uh, perhaps they will um, because of uh, the implementation of something called the Red Flags Rule, and we can get into that if you wish. Mm-hmm. But, so if it's a Social Security number, um, you know, you're... you're going to be at risk for identity theft. Uh, one of the things that the breached entities do primarily as a best practice now is they'll probably offer you a year or two of credit monitoring uh, of a credit monitoring service. And normally these cost 10 to $20 a month if you were to subscribe on your own. So, you know, if, if you are given that credit monitoring service, and in most cases you will be, uh, we tell people, yes, take advantage of that. Believe it or not, uh, the vast majority of individuals who receive these notice letters telling them that their Social Security number has been exposed do not take advantage of these free services. Crazy. <laughs> you, you know, it is. But you know what stops many of them short is, is yeah. they, have to go, they have to go online um, or phone and they have to give their social security number yes. in order in order to sign up for the service. Well, if you've been, you know, if you're already at risk and you know you're you're very concerned about this, many people stop right there because they don't want to give that data. Yes. And that's when they call you and said, "Beth," or they call me and say, "Mari, should I take this?" And I always say, "Yes, take it." But, you know, that when you're talking about that, that is not the only type of identity theft that can happen with your SSN. There are many other types of identity theft so that getting the credit report helps you, but it isn't necessarily going to say, oh, okay, I got that. I'm going to know of any kind of identity theft that someone can uh, commit because they could get a job in your name. They could get uh, commit medical identity theft and get right. services in your name, or they could commit cyber identity theft That's right. or, or yeah. government benefit identity theft to get workers' comp, disability. So... We, yes, it's a great idea to do it, but, but it, that isn't everything. That's the problem. It, it's not, and it gives people a false sense of security, and that's one of the problems that I have. But I, I'm with you, Mari. We also tell people, yes, take advantage of it. But when that year or two of this free subscription ends, um, think very hard about whether or not you want to continue because it's going to go on your credit report, a credit card, and you're going to end up paying. So you've got to pay attention to um, the date that the free service ends and that it turns into a fee service. Right. And, and sometimes you might want to, if you like the idea of having some kind of monitoring, you may want to choose a different service provider. And the Consumer Federation of America actually has a whole list of questions you can ask about how to choose a monitoring service. You might want one that will choose, uh, that will tell you more about other types of identity theft, online identity theft, cyber identity theft, medical identity theft, criminal identity theft. So you have some other choices. Don't think you're stuck with that if you do choose to have that. Yeah, that's right. That's a really good point. Okay, so let's talk about the security freeze, because I think that kind of goes into if you are a victim of identity theft and you want to just stop the mm-hmm. creditors from even getting a chance to get your credit report. So why don't, why don't you tell us about the security freeze and 
if you think it's a good idea. Yeah, security freezes are sort of the ultimate protection against identity theft. And that, by the way, is another California innovation. It came from the California legislature and has since, is since uh, being accepted in, in all of the states. A security freeze essentially turns off your credit report. It makes it inaccessible. And so if there's a crook who's gotten your social security number, he or she may be at Best Buy uh, trying to open up a an instant credit card account so they can buy that um, large screen TV or, or two or three computers that they're going to sell on the street. Um, the uh, Best Buy will do a credit check and say, well, wait a minute, I can't get access to your credit report. Sorry, we can't uh, help you here. And usually by that time, the, the crook turns around and flees out the door. Um, it's a great protection. Uh, of course, it does have some... Um, it does have a downside. If, if you are in the market for credit, if you're refinancing your home or getting a mortgage, if you're applying for a job where a credit check will be done or, or renting an apartment, um, you're going to have to unfreeze and then refreeze. It also costs a small amount of money unless you're an identity theft victim. In most states, uh, it's free or very low cost for victims of identity theft, but it really is the ultimate protection. And I, I like to recommend that... Um, seniors who own their homes outright, perhaps, or they're never going to be opening up another credit card. Um, like my father, I, I signed him up for security freezes with all three credit bureaus because he's just not in the market for any kind of credit. And basically, he doesn't have to worry about it. And, and I don't have to worry about it for him. <laughs> I was just going to say, otherwise, <laughs> you'd be worrying about it. He, he wouldn't be as worried as you would be. That's for well, sure. Well, that's right. <laughs> That's right, because because it's it's a you know as you know identity theft is is very complicated to recover from, it takes a lot of time, a lot of letter writing, um, a, a lot of diligence, you know, keeping on top of everything, keeping good records, and then revisiting your credit report, you know, um, very frequently just to make sure that there aren't any new fraudulent accounts. So. The security freeze is is a wonderful, wonderful strategy for protecting your identity and preventing identity theft. Yes, for financial identity theft that appears in your credit reports. Again, we have to talk about that. Let me just kind of divert because we've been talking about credit reports and the the worry that I have and I know you have is a lot of uh, California is one of the states that allows employers to look at a credit report when determining whether to hire someone. So what do you think about that? Well, I have always been, this is one of my soapbox issues, I have always been opposed to the ability of employers to pull credit reports on job applicants because what they're doing is essentially making a character judgment or a value judgment and saying, well, if you've got a bad credit report, you must um, be a terrible money manager. Uh, you must, you know, not be very responsible, and certainly we're not going to want to hire you. Now, six states um, agree with me, essentially, <laughs> and say that they, they have laws that um, greatly restrict the use of credit reports to make hiring decisions. And many, many states have had bills in their legislatures considering laws just like that. And those states are Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii on the West Coast, um, Illinois, and then Maryland and Connecticut. Now, this year, the California legislature um, has considered a bill uh, by Assemblymember Tony Mendoza of the Los Angeles area. This bill would limit the uses of credit reports, uh, although it would not prohibit them. It's, a, In my opinion, uh, the, the bill has actually 
some big loopholes, but still, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Many states have introduced bills this, this past year that would uh, limit the uses of um, credit reports for, for hiring decisions. I think we're going to see that more and more states actually join those six and successfully pass laws that uh, limit uh, in, 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 you know, in great amounts, the ability of employers to, uh, to use credit reports to make these kinds of decisions. But all of these laws in, in the six states and, and, and the bills that are uh, being considered and not yet passed into law, they all have exceptions for jobs where, say, financial management and access to, to, to cash, to money, right. is a key feature of the job. So they all have those provisions, and uh, there's I just plenty think of protect. High- yeah, there's plenty of protection for the employers. And, there and really is, and I think it's high time that employers stop using the credit report to make uh, character judgments, especially in the terrible economy that we have. And you know what? You are absolutely right, and we are out of time. We just want to thank you, Beth Givens, the director of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, and we're giving your website, uh, privacyrights.org, and people can sign up for your wonderful newsletter there too, right? Yes, we put out alerts about once a month. You can go to our homepage, and over on the right-hand side, there is a link that says, Stay Informed, Join Our Mailing List. And thank you so much. We will, of course, have you back again. You are terrific and wonderful. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI. And also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests. Listen to archived interviews. Listen to podcasts. Download them. And write us emails about what's important to you about your protecting your privacy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.